The Gospel of Mark is the oldest gospel, written around 68 CE, about 35-ish years after the passing of Jesus, and it's divided into two main sections. Part one, which includes chapters one through around chapter eight, verse 26, covers Jesus's healing, his preaching and teaching in Galilee. This part establishes who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. Part two of Mark, chapter eight, verse 27, to about chapter 16, verse eight, Jesus begins to foreshadow his own end, his coming death, crucifixion, and resurrection. And like some great play, this morning, we find ourselves in act two, scene two. As Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, the people crying out, Hosanna, God save us. Jesus's political actions are leading to escalation. As he turns tables in the temple asking, what have we made of God's house? We're in the midst of our holy week, a week that feels unholy. And before us today, we see Jesus confront the powerful and the privileged. And there are no spoilers, for we all know how this story ends, with a miraculous Messiah being brutalized at the hands of the empire. Greed, envy, power, executing a man who spoke of grace, healing, and love for all people. It's interesting that in this passage today, we see the lowly and vulnerable losing, giving everything. In Mark's words, they gave all they had to live on. And while so often we make this story romantic and we make these players heroes, this story is not a romance. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. As he taught, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all these who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was entering ninth grade, I read a book that changed my life. I've read many books that have changed my life. I love reading. 
Uh, for those of you, I don't know if any of you remember AOL Instant Messenger. Was that a thing of your life? I, I don't know if you felt the uh, ontological angst of having to pick out a username that you felt both reflected who you were and what you were about. In what I felt was a great bout of wisdom, my username was Joiner Bookworm. Very unique. <laughs> now, there have been names that, there have been books that have changed my life since this one, and there are books that changed my life before this one. Stories that draw you in from Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert and their home on Prince Edward Island with its green gables to an enchanted platform at King Cross Station, where through a wall you walked into a world where magic exists and with friendship and love, good conquers evil. But this book, it felt like a marker for me in my life. For in this book, I read of the ugly realities of humanity as I turned pages and tears fell, something inside me too turned. And I felt the childish wool of innocence come away from my eyes. I lived in Massachusetts at the time, and every summer we received a list of books that needed to be read before the start of the school year. On the list were Austin and Shakespeare, the Brontes and Hemingway, and I remember wanting to pick something different. I was that kind of kid, probably not to the same extent that Pastor Seth was that kind of kid, but, but I also liked to be different, though my differences were probably picked out in a little less obvious of ways, like my book selection. And so that fateful book, All Quiet on the Western Front, by Eric Maria Remarque, changed me forever. And to this very day, I remember the preface of that novel. He wrote, this book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell the tale of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped the shells, were destroyed by war. This is not an adventure. It is not a romance. On this day, when we remember that a hundred years ago, promises were made as guns and artillery shells were laid to rest, as mustard gas suffocated innocence, killing young men in trenches as bodies lay broken in fields, we made promises. At the 11th hour, on the 11th day, of the 11th month of 1918. We made promises about the sacredness of life. For what was seen in World War I, the horrors of what men could do to one another was to never happen again. This was to be the war to end all wars, as all wars are. For this was not an adventure, and it was not romantic. In the land where, uh, where Ponce de Leon was said to discover the fountain of youth, which ironically has become the land of retirement communities, and the aged live in that great sunshine state of Florida, this past Friday, my great aunt Erica died. 
at 108 years old. I told my husband he better look out because women in my family live forever. <laughs> but my mother tells stories of how when she was a little girl, she would go to visit my Aunt Erica and Uncle George on Long Island. And Aunt Erica would drive this old beat up Volkswagen bug that she had down the road like a bat out of hell. And my mom tells this story about how there were two semi-trucks and Aunt Erica insisted that her bug was perfectly sized to drive right in between the two of them. Erica was also an ardent naturalist. She listens to records of bird songs to teach herself ornithology. And she gave my brother and I a rock tumbler. Although, if I'm honest with you guys, she gave my brother the rock tumbler. <laughs> but I pulled the card as a little kid, insisting that that gift was too great to be given to any one of us and so should be shared among us. Oh, the power of being a younger sibling. It is a, it's family legend that Aunt Erica swam in a lake in her retirement community with their resident alligator. And until three years ago, Erica swam almost every single day. She had grown up swimming in the Baltic Sea because she grew up in Hamburg, Germany. Her father was a coffier when there were such things. He designed wigs for the opera in Hamburg. And Erika lived in Germany in World War I. She witnessed men coming back from war and back from the shells, shells themselves of the men that they once were and the men that they could have been. Between World War I and World War II, her father moved to America and then brought Erica and her mother to join him as well. And as I talked with my mom yesterday, we both realized that we had never asked her if she remembered the war. We never asked her if they had experienced rationing, if they'd stayed in Hamburg or traveled somewhere else. We never asked if she remembered the day that the bells tolled and told of peace. Reading Jesus's parable of the widow's might this Sunday, I could not help but see the parallels. See, this is not only a story about money or even about how we view abundance and scarcity, though it is that too, but it is also a parable about how the most vulnerable in our world are often the ones asked to give as Mark says, all they have to live on. My, uh, my husband was a classics major in college, and so often, and he's also a pastor, and so often when we get a scripture for Sunday, we read it together, and he insists on telling me the Greek root of the, of the scripture and where it comes from and the history of the meaning of the words, and usually I just nod and smile and say, yes, honey. But this week, I was actually struck by what he said. I actually listened. <laughs> And uh, I, was, I was particularly impressed because the literal translation in the Greek reads that the widow gave holon tombion otes, which means her whole life. Not all that she had to live on, but when we translate this passage from the Greek, the widow gave her whole life. In all quiet on the Western Front, we hear, we hear this about young men giving their whole lives. Uruk wrote, I am young, I am 20 years old, and yet I know nothing of life but despair, death, 
fear, and fastidious superficiality cast over an abyss of sorrow. I see how people are set against one another and in silence, unknowingly, foolishly, obediently, innocently slaughter one another. He writes, we are not youth any longer. We don't want to take the world by storm. We are fleeing, we are flying from ourselves, from our life. We were 18 and had begun to love life and the world, and we had to shoot it to pieces. When young men came back from World War I, those words were true. They gave all that they had to live on. They gave their life. They were true in 1929 when Uruk wrote All Quiet on the Western Front. Young men gave everything. They gave their youth, their bodies, they gave their hearts and souls, they gave their whole lives. As I sat at a church Illinois conference meeting yesterday, a man came and took the chair next to me around the table with a crocheted poppy pinned to his lapel. And I asked him about it, the poppy being a symbol for Armistice Day, taken from the haunting poem Flanders Field, where poppies grow in fields where the bodies of young men died. This poppy, he told me, was a tribute to his father, a Korean war vet, who too gave his whole life and came back from war a broken man, whose brokenness was taken out on his children and a home that should have been safe was shattered, itself riddled with war. These words are true in 2018, as young men from the back of the yards neighborhood met last Sunday in a small group with some of our high school youth and asked them, do you wake up afraid to die? Because of where they live, because of the happenstance of birth, could have been any of us born to different parents in a different neighborhood after all. Because of racism and systemic poverty in our nation that claims that some lives are more important than others, these young men are giving everything. They're giving their hopes and their dreams, they're giving their bodies, they are giving their whole lives. This is not an adventure, it is not a romance. In our scripture for today, we find Jesus raising the stakes, saying hard truths that need to be spoken, even realizing, or maybe knowing, as he does, that this confrontation with the religious elite will begin the dominoes falling as Caiaphas, the high priest, calls for Jesus' death. But Jesus is not held or silenced by fear. He condemns the scribes, those who are tasked with keeping God's law, of making sure religious rituals are followed. But instead of connecting to God, they get stuck. They get stuck in the rules of doing this and not doing that. They get stuck in the power and the perception. They get stuck in the belief of their own righteousness. They get stuck, having lost sight of God's commandment to love all and to protect the most vulnerable. In this passage, Jesus mentions widows twice, and that's intentional. When he's talking about widows, Jesus is not talking about adorable grandmothers like my Granny Jean, 
who steals cookies from her blind roommate in what she calls the home, and sends my birthday card two weeks early so that it gets to me in time. No, in ancient Israel, there was no population at greater risk than widows. And so Jesus's remark that the scribes would devour widows' homes amidst a litany of other offenses denotes their utter depravity. And then widows are mentioned again. As many rich people put their coins into the treasury, it is the most vulnerable, a widow, who gives everything she has to live on, who gives her whole life. And while this widow gave freely, I wonder at our world, where the most vulnerable are often asked to give it all. And I wonder if it has to be like this. Do young men and women have to die in violence in bars and synagogues and churches and schools and on their streets? And I wonder who God is calling us to be, and I wonder what God is calling us to do. One of our senior high adult leaders was in the group with the young men from Precious Blood Ministries last week. And she expressed openly in the group her sorrow at the unfairness and corruption of this world that her baby gets to walk the halls of Glenbard West High School and the streets of Glen Ellen safe. And the young man from back of the yards, without a pause, replied, I am glad that your son is safe. God, on this day, when we pledge ourselves to be your people of peace, a hundred years ago, as bells tolled and we vowed to go about war no more, may we continue to lift up those whose lives have been lost in service to our country. And may we also look at hard, and may we look deep, at how our world often forces the most vulnerable among us to give it all, to give everything, to give their whole lives. For this is not an adventure, it is not a romance. But maybe, together, we can write a different story. Amen.